when I get up here on the Lord's Day. The, um, <clears throat> you've probably noticed this. We noticed this in the life of Christ very specifically, but people, um, people who desire to make an impact in the world and the culture in which they live invariably <clears throat> are very single-minded. They have a very single-minded commitment to reaching said goals. Jesus said his food was to do the will of him who sent him. And when we study and look at the life of Jesus Christ, we see that he was very single-minded in his commitment to doing all that God the Father had sent him to do and to accomplish. doesn't matter what those goals may be. His were obviously uniquely his, being the Son of God, the Son of Man. But whether they are of that nature or they're goals that you and I strive for, whatever successes we aim to achieve, whether that's in family successes or business or whatever it may be, whatever it may be. We do understand and we recognize that there are sacrifices that must be made that are necessary to accomplish and achieve those goals. That is uh, absolutely certain and true in the Christian life, is it not? I think it's without saying that the child of God has a heart's desire and goal to be like him, to be like Christ. And we know in the pursuit of that, there's, there, there's no hidden secrets or gimmicks or shortcuts to a life that makes an impact uh, for Christ in this world, for Christ and the families that we're raising, for Christ and the church in which we partake, and for Christ and the community of business, etc., wherever it may be. When we seek to make an impact for Christ, we know that there are no shortcuts to a life that's going to do that. Lives that will make such direct impact will be those that give a maximum effort in the spiritual disciplines. They will give a maximum effort to reach spiritual goals of Christ's likeness in their life and for the sake of their personal ministry, which is a ministry of great commission work. We've seen over the course of 2,000 years that many, many uh, very noble servants of Christ have suffered much to reach these goals and to be a benefit and an edification uh, for His church. We know that many even paid the ultimate price. They gave their lives for the cause of Christ and His church. Each of these had one thing in common. They recognized that their own comfort was less important to them than being a part of something bigger than them. A part of being, uh, of being a part of the body of Christ, of becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And as such, they left a mark, a heritage, a legacy, for their family, their church, their community of their undivided and undying devotion to Him. And it's on this Palm Sunday, a Sunday prior to our Lord's resurrection, this coming Lord's Day, 
It was on this Palm Sunday that the Lord himself knew of the very week that he was in and that his time had indeed come. And he set his face like flint to do the will of the Father. So my challenge for each of us this morning is that we would set our faces like flint in accomplishing the will of God the Father in our lives, which is not that of being hung on a cross for the sins of the world. We could never do that. But of being a part of fulfilling the commission that he, the one, left for us his church. That we would, in essence, lay down our palm branches underneath the feet of the Lord. Palm branches that might represent our own interests, our own plans, our own dreams, our, our own lives. Jesus said, if you won't lose your life for his sake, then you won't find life in him either. We need to be those, and I'm praying that we'll be those, again, laying down whatever palm branches of self-interest that we continually wave before ourselves, the things for which we live for, and place them under the feet of the Lord in direct submission to His Lordship over our lives in order to do the one thing, the one thing that Christ's life, His death, and His resurrection won for us, and that is freedom. Freedom to live for God from the heart and to live in light of eternity. Isn't it a blessed thing and a place to be to have eyes open to see and understand what it means and what it looks like to live with a biblical worldview? To be able to have the Word of God before us and we have a genesis, a beginning, we have a revelation, an end, and we have the gospel story woven from beginning to end. Isn't it great to have spiritual eyes open to see how then shall we live as a result of being drawn into this great narrative of the redemptive plan of God the Almighty? Far too often we find ourselves distracted with a myriad of little palm branches, interests of our own. Let's lay them at his feet this day. Amen. When Paul told the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 13, he said, One thing I do. One thing. He reduced the Christian life to one objective. To being and being known by Christ as Lord. You see, we as Christians are to glorify God, but we can only do that to the degree that we are willing to become like Christ, to lay down our self-interest, our, those proverbial palm branches. We need to lay those down. You see, when we evangelize lost people, we are doing nothing less than imitating the Lord, who himself came to seek and to save that which was lost in Luke 19.11. As believers... As we mature spiritually, we are literally, it says we are, quote, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter, 2 Peter 3.18. 
And when we are mortifying our flesh, Peter in 1 Peter 2.24 says that we die to sin. And as such, he says, we live to righteousness. We become more and more like Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, who knew no sin. One thing. And the really good news is that we are not left as orphans trying to do all of this on our own. We, we know this to be true. There's both, we know an objective and subjective resource available to us in our Christian lives for, for pursuing the prize, the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus that we looked at even last week. This objective resource is the Word of God, the Bible. The revelation of Christ, Colossians 2.3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Are we plummeting those truths to seek that hidden treasure, that glorious treasure, that the wisdom and knowledge that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? When Paul wrote that believers have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2.16, he was referring to the revelation of Scripture given by the apostles and those New Testament writers associated with them. The mind of Christ is contained in the Word of God. And so we seek and study the Word of God in order to know the mind of Christ. And the subjective power for becoming more like Jesus Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit who uses the knowledge of Christ gleaned from our study of the Scriptures to then progressively change us into that glorious image. 2 Corinthians 3.18, from one level of glory to another in Christ Jesus. The New Testament's clear that Christian growth results from study of the Scriptures and submission to the Holy Spirit. It was in Philippians 2.13 that Paul said that our God is at work in us to both will and to work for His good pleasure. The Spirit of God is alive in us as God's children to both will and to work for His good pleasure. And so this morning in the passage that we're going to kind of continue on where we left off last week, there in Philippians, Paul is going to give us three practical steps of pursuing that prize, that goal, that reward of our upward call of God in Christ Jesus, of being more Christ-like. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, the first thing we're going to see is that we need to be those who are willing, willing to follow good examples Good examples of faith. Good examples of those within the church. We need to be willing to follow good patterns. Secondly, we're going to see in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3 that we need to be also learning from bad examples. There's something to be said about learning from bad examples, right? I had one man tell me one time who had been through two marriages that he thought he ought to be teaching about marriage in the church because he said, after all, I've blown it twice. I should know how to tell people what not to do. I said, well, that's an interesting way of looking at it. But there is something to be said about learning from bad examples, and we're going to see that we can 
be aware of the numerous bad examples around us and learn thereby. And thirdly, from verse 20 and 21, he's going to remind us to be living for eternal realities, that your citizenship isn't here. You have a heavenly citizenship and that we need to be living in such a way that we keep that truth, that reality in mind. So church, it was on a Palm Sunday where the Lord's face was set like flint. He knew what laid before him. He knew the travails. He knew the suffering. He knew, he knew Good Friday. He knew the, the crucifixion. But he also knew of the glorious resurrection. Let's set our faces like flint as well. Look at Philippians 3.17. Paul says here, he said, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. The first practical step in pursuing Christ's likeness of pursuing that goal, the prize that we looked at last week, that, that reward is in following good examples of the faith. Paul said it very clearly here. He said, brethren, join in following my example. Now, how many of you, when you read something like this and you think about the Apostle Paul and you think about his example and you, and you say to yourself, how can I do that? I mean, after all, isn't Paul like one of these super Christians there's like 18 Christians, and then there's the rest of us. There's like the Apostle Paul, Billy Graham. Well, I, I just don't see myself on that upper shelf. I'm just down. Paul is saying, join in following my example. The text literally says, be fellow imitators of, with me. Imitate my life. Paul urged the Philippians to imitate the way he lived in pursuing the goal of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. This informs us that Paul isn't to be viewed or thought of as some super saint, but that his way of going hard for God is actually a pattern for each of us. Have you ever thought about that in your life, in your journey, in your sojourning this side of heaven? Paul, Paul's life is to be a pattern for all believers. Paul isn't saying here that every Christian is to become a church planter like he was, but he's calling every Christian to imitate his attitude, his drive, his way of thinking about pursuing God, about living for Christ in light of eternity. Listen, your personality may or may not be like the Apostle Paul's, but this has absolutely nothing to do with personality types and such things as that. Desiring to have a God-centered, Christ-focused, Godward life has everything to do with the heart, not personality types. So regardless of the unique personality which God gave you to begin with, you are to be intentional in your desire to know and to pursue that one thing, that reward, the goal, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Are our faces set like Flint Church as we remember this Palm Sunday, how the Lord knew that His, His end was near? Do we live with a, with a recognition that perhaps our end is near? Or are we living life kind of thinking, well, I'm going to live to the ripe young age of 95 and then just graciously die in my sleep? It's going to be glorious. Do we, do we wrongly have this kind of thinking? Listen, today may be the day that our number is called. Our days are numbered. 
Today may be our day. Are we living with purposeful intentionality? Do we have patterns? The Apostle Paul modeled for us virtue, morality, what it looks like to overcome the flesh, victory over temptation, how to worship, how to have service to God, how to be patient and endure suffering, how to handle possessions, how to handle relationships. And though he admitted himself in verse 13 in chapter 3 that he hadn't arrived or attained that goal yet, he said that he continually did something. He said he continually pressed on for the prize, for the goal of that upward call. It speaks about his attitude, his intentionality, his one thing. I may have dinner with these people tonight, or I may do this tomorrow. I may do this and go to this fun objective thing I do tomorrow with with the kids, whatever it may be. But is there one overarching narrative, the meta-narrative of our lives? Are we willing to have a glad submission to the Lord there and say, Lord, how can you use me today when I go to have dinner with them? How can you use me today for your purposes when I take my kids over here? How could you use me for the purposes of building the kingdom today when I'm doing X or Y or Z or whatever it is I may be doing? Are we intentionally thinking about needing to have beautiful feet of those who bring good news into every context, into every sphere we go? Are our faces set like flint that one day we will stand before the Lord? Is that our goal? Is that the prize? Are we looking forward to that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul continually pressed on, we need to as well. God has told us through Paul that his life was to be an example for us to follow, which is exactly what Paul told the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 11.1. He said, there be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Told that to the church in Corinth. He told this to the church in Philippi. But it wasn't exclusive to Paul. Notice the end of the verse here in 17 again. He does say, follow my example. And, notice, and observe those. More examples. This could be you. Should be you. Should be me. And observe those who are walking according to the pattern you have in us. Paul's life was to be an example, my example, and observe others as well. And there we sit right here. Observe those. Church, we need to be willing and desiring to allow our lives to be an example for that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? This word right here, observe, I found this to be an interesting observation. Uh, No pun intended, but it comes from the Greek word skopeo, which is a verb form of the noun. This is getting too technical, I'm sorry. It's a verb form of the noun that we looked at last week of the goal. Remember this right here? Oh, I missed that one. Nope, not there. Right here. Remember when we looked at this last week, I press on to the goal. So, let me see if this works. Yes, so observe here is a verb form of this Greek 
noun form of it here that was translated goal, we press on towards what? The goal for what? For the prize for this reward of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And observe here is a verb form of that word um, this for goal, which it's, it's significant because it lets us know that our observation of others isn't just simply for the purpose of noticing them but for the purpose of helping us discover how we are to live so that we too may reach the goal of our upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're not just observing others who walk and say, hey, you're doing great. I'm observing your life and saying, how did you do that? How are you doing this? How do you manage your finances? How did you manage your marriage? When your kids ran into these issues or these problems or these situations or these circumstances, how did you as Christian parents manage and navigate those? And we observe them and we listen to them so that we can then reach the goal of an upper call of God in Christ Jesus and the discipling of our kids, etc., etc. So regardless of what you do, in making a living, irrespective of your family background, regardless of the level of education or income you may have. Listen, it's about your attitude towards life. It's about your way of thinking. It's about the intensity and and the intentionality that you bring to your life of saying, I belong to God, I'm a child of God, and I'm desiring to live for Him and His purposes. That's ultimately what it comes down to. It comes down to the heart. It comes down to the heart. And when the objective of our goal is Christ and conformity into his image, how could there be any barrier too high, a valley too deep, or a challenge that's too great? This is the kind of pattern the Apostle Paul leaves for us. This is the kind of pattern that others, those, you and I are to be living. We are to be observing and leaving a pattern for others to observe so that we can know how we should be living with our faces set like flint in the pursuit of our one thing. Amen, church? Let's do that. Listen, we're coming upon the high Sunday, the the Resurrection Sunday. Let's not get to Resurrection Sunday and sing the hallelujah without living the hallelujah, without living as though we are underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis, daily basis, moment-by-moment basis, with every conversation I have with my wife, the way I treat her, the way I choose to speak to her, etc., etc. It has ramifications for every single thing we do. The Lordship of Christ over your life touches everything that you do in life. Amen? Live for that goal. Purpose to do that. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It's all about the heart. If you want it, you can go get it because the Holy Spirit is alive in you. God's at work in you to willing to work for His good pleasure. It just has to be your pleasure to live for him. Notice verse 18. We can learn from bad examples too. He says in 18, For many walk of whom I told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's words here, he says, Of whom I often told you should cause us to remember Paul's warning back in chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. And after telling the Philippians to strive together for the faith of the gospel with one mind, he tells them in verse, 20, in verse 28, he says, In no way alarmed by your opponents. Listen, there has always been opposition to the truth of the gospel. Are you seeing it in our culture more than you've ever seen it in your lifetimes ever? <laughs> I am. On the same day, 
that we have three children shot dead in the Christian school and three teachers shot dead in the Christian school, our administration gets up and says that the transgender community is under attack. You better believe that there is opposition to Christianity and it's ever increasing. And such, perhaps, are the glorious beginnings of those final birth pangs that will usher into the greatest tribulation that this world has ever seen. Come soon, Lord Jesus. We'd better be paying attention. There is opposition. In no way, he said, alarmed by your opponents. In chapter 3, verse 2, he said, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers. Listen, nothing new under the sun. Beware of the false circumcision. And remember, these individuals that Paul's warning them about, though they were preaching Christ, clearly, from what Paul is showing us, they were presenting a different pattern for those in the church to follow. As we know, the apostles, the Paul, and, and he would go into a community, he would establish a church, he would grab a Timothy, he'd grab a Titus, and he would equip saints to teach and to be preachers, and they would establish elders in, every, in all the churches. And then in behind the apostles would come false teachers. And they too were saying, follow me. Follow our example. Follow our pattern. Paul says, beware of these dogs, these evil workers, which if if you don't understand the importance of why you need to know the Word of God, herein is the pattern. When agents are trained in the discovery of counterfeit bills, they only show them the real deals, if that's a way of saying it. They don't show them what counterfeit bills look like. They're, they're innumerable. There's too many. So they train them to look at the real dollar bill, the real five, the 10, the 20. Then when they get them newly printed, now they have to understand the newly printed ones and these so that when anything false comes along, they can detect it instantly. And this is what the Holy Spirit can do through us when we hide God's word in our hearts, when we meditate upon his law day and night. We're having a class every Thursday, every other Thursday in the church now about spiritual disciplines, about the intake of God's word, prayer, etc. This is a place that we need to be. We need to move ourselves and purposely traffic ourselves into these kind of situations. Whatever TV show we're used to watching on Thursday night, that can wait. DVD, DVR, whatever it's called, save it. You need to be around people who you can see patterns in their lives and say, well, how did you do and how are you doing and what does God's Word say about this? How should I be managing my life in such a way that I can detect the false patterns of gospel preaching? Because let me tell you, church, it's out there in spades. Be aware of going and finding good preaching on the internet. You have no earthly idea what you're going to stumble into. Oh, he's a really, he's a really great speaker. Well, of course he is. 
And in some cases, of course, she is. Just being, you know, culturally relevant there. It's one of the more, more dangerous places to go to try to find solid preaching. Beware. There are dogs, there are evil workers, there's a false circumcision. And notice what he said in 19, whose end, why is it good to learn from good patterns and also from bad patterns, whose end is destruction? Paul doesn't mince words. He doesn't say, well, perhaps, you know, they're probably, they're actually probably really saved. They just have some bad theology on the edges. No, he says their end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things. People don't really speak like this anymore, do we? <laughs> uh, when MacArthur has the courage to stand up and say things similar to this about others who are out there preaching, he gets excoriated for speaking like this. And those who read the Word of God today excoriate Paul and they excoriate Peter and they excoriate John and, and others because it's too harsh, it's too black and white, it's too narrow, it's only one way, not many ways. Just listen to the talking heads on the programs. They will all let you know that they're wrong and they're right. Paul doesn't mince words one whit. He says these who are promoting false gospels, their destruction is sure. James tells us, do you not know that friendship with the world, see right here, their minds are on earthly things. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. John in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away. And also its lusts. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their own appetite. And whose glory is their shame. Mind on earthly things. The world is passing away and also all of these lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Jesus set a pattern for us on how to set... He set His face like flint. He came to do the will of the Father. He wasn't going to be distracted come what may I can almost imagine some of the commentary that a sermon like this might provoke. Pastor, are you, it seems like you're taking it just a little bit too seriously. I'm just reading what the Scripture says. Paul said that he was to be, I didn't say, I mean, I did say that we're all patterns, right? But Paul's a pattern. Jesus, the great pattern. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So Paul's like, I'm an example. I'm a pattern. And then others who are following after our pattern. So Jesus, Paul, others, the rest of us, we're just laying out biblical Christianity. Nothing radical here at all. 
This is how these men live their lives. Read. They gave everything for a purpose and a cause. They still had their tent-making ministry businesses. They did what they did. Fishermen, they bartered, they sold, they had to eat. They, had, they actually had to cook food. And they, they still had to take care of issues of life. We don't get all of that. We just get the, the bare-bones necessity about the intricate aspects of what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus. We don't get every last detail of their life where they went for lunch following a Sabbath sermon. They lived life just like you and I are living life. But boy, they sure had a single-mindedness, did they not? Church, let's, re- let's remind ourselves of these things on this glorious Palm Sunday that leads to the high Sunday of the resurrection. Let's set our faces like Flint, like Jesus did, like Paul did, like Peter did, like John did, like the martyrs who went before us did. It's our turn to stand firm for Christ. Amen? It's just 2,000 years later. Let's stand for Christ. Thirdly, the third thing that Paul says here in verse 20, practical steps, Pursuing that goal is remembering eternal realities. Notice verse 20, for your citizenship's in heaven. Why can you live like such a renegade on this earth? Why can you do these things? Not love the world, not love the things of the world. Well, I'm in the world. Why shouldn't I love some of the things? I'm, I'm in the world. Your citizenship isn't in, uh, of this world. Your citizenship is in heaven. Well, what does that exactly mean, Pastor, that my citizenship is in heaven? It means the goal, that prize for which you're pursuing, that great reward. You have a citizenship as a son and daughter of God. You have an inheritance that's in heaven. And so you, what are you pursuing? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You're living for eternal realities. You're not living for the things of this world. But, Pastor, I need things of this world just to make it work. That's right. So Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these other things would be added unto you. He knows that you need a place to live, a car to drive, food to eat, friends to share life with, etc. All these other things will be added unto you, but that does not in any way negate the reality that we are to be seekers of one thing. Christ. When we leave today, let's let's lay our, our palm branches down. Let's allow Christ to walk right over them all. And let's say, glory in the highest. Hosanna, save now. Here I am, Lord, send me. I have a citizenship that's in heaven, from which, notice, we also watch watch this, eagerly await a Savior. The hard attitude of the child of God is to be those who are postured in such a way that we are anticipating, we are eagerly awaiting a Savior from heaven because our citizenship is there and it's with the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Paul in 2 Corinthians 6 as an example for us, reminds us of many of the afflictions and the hardships and the distresses and the beatings and the imprisonments and the tumults and the labors and the sleeplessness and his hunger, etc. 
how in purity and knowledge and patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and genuine love He said right here at the very end of all of these things that he's endured, he says, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Are these mutually exclusive? As sorrowful yet always rejoicing, they're not mutually exclusive. As poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Our citizenship is in heaven. All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are ours in Christ Jesus. Let's be dispensers of mercy and grace. And wrap it up, notice verse 21. Notice how Paul talks about the consummation of this. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Church, are we eagerly awaiting our Savior? Do we desire for this body that we're in currently, this humble state that we're in, to be transformed, to be conformed with the body of his glory? It's going to come by exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. To him be glory in the church forever and forever. So my desire on this Lord's Day as we were heading into Resurrection Sunday, was to shoot a pretty solid shot across the bow of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to remind ourselves, church, that we are not of this world, though we are in it. And we need to be mindful of the days in which we live. Just pay attention. They're coming for God's people. The Bible tells us so. I'm not just making that up. And so now more than ever, live in such a way that your light may shine. It shines no brighter than when the darkness closes in. And we've seen an aspect of that this week in the likes that we have never seen before. So church, you are the church. Leave this facility today and go be the church out there. Amen? Set your face like flint to the glory of God. Whatever you need to lay at His feet today and find a new glad submission to Him today, do so before you leave this place. For the glory of His name, to hallowed His name, to be able to say, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Say, here I am, Lord, send me, give me beautiful feet. Let's pray.